Hello, everybody. Dr. Rick Wallace dropping in on you. I hope everybody is having a good start to their week. As for me, it's business as usual, moving on, uh, really working to achieve some goals that I've set for myself and my family uh, in the areas of business, uh, finance, uh, goals that I have set for the work that I do at the Odyssey Project. So I've been extremely busy. This is definitely a transformational uh, period uh, in so many ways for me as I approach my 54th birthday, which is Sunday. Uh, And being that just a little over a year ago, I had uh, multiple heart attacks, five to be exact, over the course of seven days in March. Uh, March made a year. The first week in March made a year. And so to uh, be in a place where I'm in better health, uh, my heart is definitely recovering. Um, uh, I'm in the gym consistently, uh, lost some weight, still got some more to go working, uh, doing the things that I want to do in that area, but also focusing on uh, consistency built, consistently building my legacy and making sure that I leave a legacy that speaks of me long after I'm gone and provides a foundation for my family uh, to continue on. It's extremely important to me. So it's been an ongoing uh, challenge. So many things have happened over the last few years, uh, but I'm not a complainer. I'm not one that is always looking for an excuse. Uh, I'm looking for solutions. Things happen. You don't Uh, You don't get through life without going through some things. You don't get through life without meeting challenges. You don't get through life without having setbacks. That's simply a part of what happens. The question at hand is going to be simple. How did you deal with it? What did you do about it? Did you accept uh, the setback or did you come up with a solution? Did you accept the hardship or did you come up with a solution? Did you accept the sickness or did you seek healing? Uh, those are going to be the questions uh, whose answers will um, determine the outcome of your life. Uh, I believe that if you're still breathing, you're still in the fight. And that's the approach that I have taken. Uh, obviously, I had to make some choices about how I was. Man, I was up every day at 4 a.m. going to 10, 30, 11 o'clock every day. I mean, seven days a week, I wasn't taking breaks. I had developed a sedentary lifestyle just behind that desk, creatively going. My mind was sharp, but I was letting myself go. Uh, I wasn't eating properly, just a bunch of things I was doing. I wasn't spending quality time as I should with the family. I'm so worried about providing for the family that I'm not really enjoying the family. A lot of things I had to change, uh, things that I knew, but you you get in that mode. You get in that mode where, okay, this is this at this time in my life, this is what I got to do. I got to do. And you lose sight of some, some of the important things. And so this was a uh, this has been a year, uh, uh, a, a little over a year of true uh, introspective examination and discovery as far as I'm concerned. Um, and it has been amazing to me uh, to look at where I'm at and to literally be uh, 
a couple of days of, well, not a couple of, you know, a few days away from turning 54 and still feeling like I've just scratched the surface that there's so much more for me to do. I'm excited. Um, and so I, I just want to share that uh, with you. Be, be excited about what's happening in your life. Uh, if you're not happy with where it's at, that's not your lot in life. Poverty is not your lot in life. Suffering is not your lot in life. Being miserable and unhappy is not your lot in life. If you're not where you feel you ought to be, if you're not satisfied, it's not your lot in life. You have the ability to change where you're at. You have the ability to change the outcome. You have the ability. And it, it's not contingent upon where you started. It's not contingent upon where you're at now. It's contingent upon your focus and your commitment to stand up and move out and make something special happen in your life. And so for that, I'm encouraging you. I'm, I'm challenging you to step up. I did things a little different today. I'm, I'm streaming across a number of different platforms. Uh, and what I did is there's work I do in the community uh, through my organization, the Odyssey Project, uh, everything from research to program development to inner city community engagement. And uh, I've put the information for you to support that. Now, obviously, the people who are on that particular the, the, the Black Voice, the Black Voice page or the Black Voice channel on YouTube, you know what this is about. Uh, but but I've got more people from different uh, platforms where I do different things that they may not be used to hearing the Odyssey Project. Uh, so I want to encourage you to support the work we do uh, on so many different levels, especially thinking about and talking about what I'm about to talk about now, which I think is immensely important. Um, you know, we deal with consistent uh, bombardment of hardcore, raw, ragged truths. Uh, on social media, uh, never has what we face as a people been so constantly thrust upon us in such vivid manner as since the rise of social media. Uh, we no longer have to wait for the six o'clock news to find all of the things that we either want to see or hear or not. Uh, you know, and news is really about the negative. It's amazing how negative news drives uh, advertising dollars. People tune in to hear negative stuff and they don't realize how it impacts them. But what it does is it makes you grapple with reality and see things. And you have to ask yourself sometimes, why am I so connected to this? Why do I feel so moved by this? What is it about this that has me feeling the way I feel? And in essence, what it is, is you relate. You relate into things in ways subconsciously that you may not even be aware of consciously. And, you know, uh, we had the, the untimely passing of DMX back in April, and it was uh, associated uh, with uh, a drug overdose. We know that for sure now. The coroner has released uh, the final results, I think, like yesterday or the day before yesterday. And he passed away from uh, cardiac arrest due to a, a cocaine overdose. Um, and so basically he ended up brain dead. And that was that. Uh, we now have heard that Keisha Cole's mom, Frankie Law, uh, Lons, uh, also passed away. And the crazy thing is she passed away on her birthday. Uh, she decided to celebrate her birthday by falling off the wagon. I don't know if she had just fallen off or she had been back into the sister situation but anyway she ended up overdosing 
and you never know the truth, true nature, what's going on behind that, you know, was, you know, so many things. And I don't really want to really speculate. So I'm going to kind of stay away from the specifics of it. I want to talk about why it impacts us so much. Why do you hear about something about someone you don't know? Now, here's the thing. I, I have a confession. I have a confession to make. I have not watched one episode of either of uh, Keisha Cole's reality series. I understand she has two. Uh, I, I don't know either one of them by name, but I know that they were big at one time. And this is where everybody came to know Frankie, which is Keisha Cole's biological mom. Keisha Cole, you know, was basically reared, adopted and reared by her family members. Her mom gave her up uh, as she struggled with addiction throughout her life. She gave her up and she was reared by other family members, but she became reconnected with her mom uh, after some time. And they developed this relationship where Keisha really fought for her mom. She fought and she challenged her mom to get healthy. And from what I can understand, her mom went through these battles of really, really, truly trying. And there are a lot of people who don't understand addiction that can be easily frustrated or put off by the fact that something of such magnitude as a daughter saying, I need you, not being enough for a mother to finally get it right. And what you have to understand that while it has been force fed to us that addiction is about a moral failure, it's so much more, it's about more of an illness. It's about understanding first and foremost, addiction comes from overindulging in a coping mechanism that is normally the result of some form of trauma. Most people who gravitate towards any type of substance, control substance or alcohol, and indulge in it at a level that it consumes them are normally moving away or running from something. You know, there are some people that just get out there and get hooked and, and go wild, but normally uh, indulging in illicit drug use at a level that it consumes you normally comes because you're looking for an escape. You're looking to get away from the pain. You're looking to get away from the horror. You're looking to get away from the guilt and the shame and so many other things that comes with being a victim of trauma. Uh, I don't know the story. That may already be a story out. I don't know the story. As I said, I didn't watch this, but you couldn't be alive and not know that Frankie existed because it was being pushed and talked about by so many different people. I heard about her. I knew her name. I, I knew she was Keisha's mom. I knew that. Uh, she was struggling with addiction. So I knew the hardships and the pain she's went through. Uh, fortunately, it's not something that I've ever dealt with. But I think everybody has a Frankie, at least one in their family. I had multiple in mine. And to watch them go through it, if you don't have an understanding of the illness, it can be very easy to be overly critical and non-supportive. Now, I, I, I'm a firm believer that a person has to own their situation. I'm a firm believer that a person has to be willing and committed to overcoming anything that they're facing and that it's no one else's responsibility, actually, to help them get past it. That's one of the things that we get in this world of entitlement, where early in life as children, we, we, we were taught that someone owes us something. We, we, we aren't really taught that. Everything you want in life is up to you to go out and get it. No, 
Somebody owes me something. I should have this just because I'm your child. I should have this just because I'm your brother. I should have this just because. And so we get this idea that because of some type of uh, unique perspective, a connectivity, a relationship, things people owe us. And the thing is, we owe ourselves to be everything that we should be. We owe ourselves to be the best that we can be. And it's our responsibility to look into our lives and see the things that are uh, moving against us. With that being said, you've got to understand the dynamic of the illness. First and foremost, when you talk about illnesses like addiction, the person isn't in their right mind. There's something bigger and deeper than what they think or what they see. There's a yearning for most of them to get out of it, but there is a deep pulling And there's a deep pulling uh, within. And there is a physiological and psychological component that is literally working through every single cell in their body to push them towards something that is destructive. It is not a reasonable and rational thing that's taking place. This isn't where you are. Because you don't have that addiction. You don't have that physiological push, that spiritual, emotional, and psychological push drawing you towards something you know deep down inside is destructive, at least not in a controlled substance. Some of you are uh, uh, addicted to suffering by way of mates. You're just not happy if you don't have somebody mishandling or mistreating you. That That's a form of... And it's because of something that comes from your past. I'm telling you, this is what I do. And, and, and I've yet to find people who are going through something that deep, that hard, that there isn't something in their past. You don't just jump up one day and decide, I'm going to destroy my whole life. There are things that happen that you can't explain. There are things that happen that you feel you can't control. And one of the worst things that happens in trauma is to feel powerless. The moment that you feel powerless... The intensity of a traumatic experience is increased exponentially. In other words, what we find out is we talk about trauma. Everybody is going to experience trauma in their life. Doesn't mean everybody's going to be traumatized. There's a difference in experiencing trauma and, uh, uh, and, and being traumatized. Traumatized is the emphatic impression of the traumatic experience in a way that physiologically, emotionally, and psychologically transforms you and change you. Literally at a genetic level, you change. This isn't just about something going on in your head. Matter of fact, there's a wealth of evidence and in, 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 uh, in information that tells us that we first experience our trauma physiologically in the body through the cells. The body responds to to the threat before the mind even realizes there is a threat. That's where the fight or flight response comes from, the literal response of the reptilian brain, the limbic system that actually sits up and detects a threat. And in the detection of the threat triggers the, uh, the uh, threat response or the stress response we call fight or flight. Now, fight or flight does some things that you need to be aware of. Fight or flight triggers the body to either do what? It's, it's self-explanatory on the surface, but it's much deeper than that beneath the surface. In fight or flight, what happens is you have the body literally go into a state of stress where cortisol 
and adrenaline is reached into the bloodstream. The heart starts to beat faster. You start to breathe faster. You become heightened and alert about things around you. And you are literally physically prepared to either stand and fight to defend yourself or run to get to safety. Now, in the process of that happening, another physiological response takes place. All of the blood flowing through the body is pulled from places where it's not absolutely necessary to do what you need to do, which is to fight or run. And that blood is sent to your extremities, your arms and your legs to provide the oxygen and the energy for you to do what? Fight or run. Here's the problem. When that happens, the blood is pulled away from uh, a very vital part of the of the brain that contributes to executive function like decision making, rational and reasonable thought and all of that. The frontal lobe or the prefrontal cortex where all of these things happen. It requires for the prefrontal cortex to operate optimally, it requires about 30% of your blood flow when it's functioning. 30% of your blood flow is flowing through your prefrontal cortex while you're listening to this video. But what happens when you go into a fight or flight uh, episode? That blood is drawn away and put away. So guess what you can't do? Can't make reasonable and rational choices. You can't think clearly. That's why I tell people all the time, they're sitting up saying, well, if they would just calm down and stop tripping when the cop, when you go into a fear mode, you're not thinking, you're reacting. And you're reacting out of that fear and what your body tells you you have to do in order to achieve safety. If your body doesn't think it's safe, then yes, your body has the ability to think. Your body is automatically going to do. Your body doesn't wait on your brain and say, okay, run. Your body will just run. Your body doesn't say, wait on your brain and say, okay, swing. Your body, will, your, your arm will just swing. It's just an instinctive response that's been there, I mean, for, for thousands and thousands upon uh, thousands of years. Okay, so now you're, you're going through this process. But what we have found in these episodes of trauma is that for people who were in some way, shape, form, or fashion able to execute some form of power during the traumatic episode, they are less likely to have long-term effects of the trauma or to become what we call traumatized. In other words, people who are in um, a mass shooting, if they're able to rally people, get them to safety, and maybe even take down the gunman or whatever it is, or even get themselves to safety without being harmed and they don't freeze, they're less likely to be traumatized. They may still need counseling, but the ones who feel helpless, who are in a corner, and the only thing that saves them is the shooter got taken down or somebody came and grabbed them, they're more likely to be traumatized by that because they had no power. So there's a part of them that is eternally and internally geared towards being in situations where they lose power and they have these different triggers and we can get into all of that. But what I'm trying to get us to understand is that we've got to have more patience. We've got to have more understanding. We've got to have a, a, a clear sense of what truly, 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 truly happens when a person becomes addicted to a controlled substance or to alcohol. And for those who think alcohol is somehow less devastating than cocaine or heroin, believe me, it's probably the worst. Number one, it's definitely the worst detox. Alcohol is a worse detox than heroin. More people die from detoxing off of alcohol than they do off of heroin. And that addiction is powerful and it's destructive. And then it's a, and, it, and then it happens in an environment where the 
the uh, the substance in question is readily available and legal. So it's so accessible, yet it's so devastating. And then it's a gateway because you'll move on to other things as well. And so when I sit up and I heard about this, like I said, I've never watched the show. Uh, I, I'm not passing judgment. I've just never watched the show. Um, I have a certain amount of time and I spend my time a certain way. It's that simple. Uh, you know, but these people have real lives. Being a celebrity doesn't exempt you from the reality that we live in. Uh, it affords you some pleasures. It affords you some resources, but it does not exempt you from experiencing the life that we all experience. And what you have to understand is we get to see them live it out in front in the open where we are living ours under the cover of obscurity in most instances. You know, people know us, but the world don't doesn't know us. And so we can kind of move through our things quietly and we can get even pretend like they don't exist. But the truth of the matter is, I'm telling you from experience, from my studies, from my research, from the clients I work with, that it exists. Every family has one. Every family has a person that's trying to fight through this and trying to get out of it. Some of them have been there for years. And what I have told people who come to me for help is I tell them they've got to want out. They got to want out better than they want to breathe. They got to want out better than they want anything else because there's always going to be something to put on there. There are a bunch of things that I do when I teach, when I work with people uh, surrounding addiction that's so much different than some of the older schools of thought. And everybody has their own thing, you know, and I upset a lot of people who have used this 12 step program uh, successfully uh, and have been, you know, uh, sober for some time because there's a part of that that I absolutely refuse to ascribe to and I refuse to teach it because I don't believe in it. I believe in the power of the mind. I believe in the power of self-talk. I believe that I believe in total and pure healing. I don't believe that once an addict, always an addict. I think when you speak that you put yourself on an edge that constantly triggers you every time you're exposed to any type of intense situation and it makes you edgy. There's a part where you get, see, there's something that got you there. There's something that got you there. There's something that got you to the point where you had to cope with it and you coped with it by uh, experimenting with drugs and ultimately begin to overindulge in it because you're trying to reach that same level of escapism that you initially experienced and it requires more and more. And then you look up and you now you're chemically dependent upon the thing you was using to escape. Now you're trying to escape it and you don't know how. But there's something that got you there. When you go back and deal with the source, you deal with it at the source, you heal at the source, you eliminate all direct connections to the effect. You deal with the cause, you eliminate the effect. And I've, I've proven it over and over again. Uh, I just, and, and again, this isn't taking a shot at anybody that's in the 12-step program. If it's working for you, work it. I'm not telling anybody, don't do something because if it's working for you, work it. I just will not allow my clients and the people I work with to sit up and speak that because self-talk, your, your, your brain is the world's most powerful supercomputer, able to process billions of bits of information per second at a subconscious level. 
But guess what? Your self-talk is the program that you're uploading into that brain. And it's the program that will, the brain will run. If you keep saying you are something, you will become it. You will literally speak it enough until the brain will process it into the habit of thought. And whatever becomes a habit of thought becomes a habit of behavior. And so you've got to be very careful about what you speak into your life. And so it is immensely important that we really and truly grasp the nature and the depth of something like addiction. We stop. We have to stop. And it's amazing to me as a black man to have watched years and years of the crack epidemic, which was predominantly experienced in impoverished communities where uh, blacks were the predominant residents and it was considered a moral and legal issue. It was a moral failure. It was a legal failure. Uh, we were jailing uh, people who were addicted. Uh, you know, we were jailing people who were caught up in addictions. We were giving them jail time. And we were talking about how morally uh, inept they were. And we were talking about all that and all of a sudden, when the heroin epidemic kicked off in the, over the last few years and it started sweeping through predominantly upper middle class suburban areas and young white kids started to get caught up on it. All of a sudden, it's a health issue. It's a mental health issue. It's a physical health issue. It needs to be dealt with through treatment. It's amazing. It's always been a sickness. It's always been an illness. But it was viewed differently when it was us being sick, especially when you look at the fact that the stuff was pushed in there by the very people who were jailing us. And and I don't want to get on my soapbox about that because that's not why I'm here. Why I'm here is this. I want us to really, truly look at um, addiction from a, uh, a place of what can we do? to be a resource in our community? What can we do uh, to show love and compassion to those who are suffering uh, while still holding them accountable? Uh, I think that is the question. The question is, you know, how do we create an environment that holds someone accountable also, but at the same time, takes into consideration just how deeply they are caught up into it beyond what they can simply do mentally. This isn't a willpower thing. This is dealing with demons, uh, for a lack of a better term, that can go all the way back to childhood. People have run from childhood trauma to the point that they ended up addicted. And, 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 and not, as I said, not everyone is addicted to drugs. Some are addicted to abusive relationships. Some are addicted to uh, promiscuity. Some are addicted to overworking themselves to prove that they are worthy or worth more than some situation had told them subliminally because they went through this or because that person wasn't there or this person wasn't there. They are proving to the world that they're worth it over and over and over and over and over again. The question actually has to be, am I addicted to something that is detrimental to me?
Not am I addicted to drugs? Am I addicted to pain in any way? Am I addicted to suffering in any way? Am I addicted to behavior that is detrimental to me living my life at the level of my design? That's the question. And if so, what do I plan to do about it? Because it's up to me. Now, will there be people there that I can tap into who are resources? Absolutely. But it has to be your decision first. Now, finally, what are we going to do about our loved ones? Do we leave them? That's going to be up to them predominantly. If someone is trying and you can see the effort, lend them a hand. At a, at a point to where they don't become detrimental to you. You don't owe anyone to allow them to pull you down while you're trying to help them. To some people, that may sound a little hard. No, I, I, don't, I don't owe you to destroy a part of me to help you. Now, if you need help and you want help, I'm going to do everything in my power to help you. But you have to commit to it. You have to be committed to it. And it doesn't mean that you can't make mistakes. It just means I need to see the effort. I need to see you really putting forth the effort. And then we'll get there and we'll go to war together. We will literally go to war together. But it has to be you putting in more effort than me. I can never put in more effort than you to do for you what you need to be doing. And that's something that we've got to be aware of. But I just had to deal with that because we're going to consistently see things like this. And we're going to wonder, why is it really getting to me? Like it's getting to you because, see, it's not just freaking lines that you're seeing. It's it's aunt this, cousin that, uh, big brother, little brother, big sister, little sister. It, 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 it's mom. It's dad. Some of us have had addiction literally just wreak havoc on our families. You look like, my God, is it anybody that isn't addicted? And, 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 and you are looking up and it'll have you afraid, man, it, it will it get me. And you, you, you've got to really, truly realize just the depths of what's happening here and make up in your mind that you're going to, you're going to be a part of the solution. And that's the thing that I did some time ago is I'm going to be the part of, I'm going to be, a, I'm going to be a part of the solution. I'm not going to be someone that sits around whines and complains about everything that's going on. Just like when I went through my situation with my health, Hey, look, you know, I can blame it on a bunch of different things. At the end of the day, I didn't eat like I was supposed to. I didn't exercise like I was supposed to. I overworked myself, overstressed myself. And I knew better why I'm teaching people how not to do what I'm doing. But I'm out there doing it because I got this thing in my mind. It, it, it's real easy to get caught up. We've got to find that balance. But anyway, I, I, I just had to stop by and talk about that. Hopefully this will land on the hearts of some people and it, you will be triggered to do something spectacular. Or it may just simply help you understand somebody in your family that probably has really been testing your patience. Uh, it's not about giving them a pass. It's not about sitting up and letting them get away with anything. It's simply about gaining a higher level of understanding on what they're going through. And from that point, doing something different. And when you're dealing with them, and you may have to deal with them sporadically, and you may have to space out your engagements with them. Again, you're not obligated to bring yourself down. I just want you to see what they're going through through a different lens. Uh, with that being said, I'm going to get out here. There are some resources in the description box of the video, no matter where you're watching it at. 
if you know somebody who needs to use those or if you yourself need to use those resources, tap into it. Also, um, show some love and support for what the work we're doing in the inner city, uh, which a part of it is dealing with mental health uh, through the Odyssey Project. And that information is also going to be in the description box of how you can show that love and support. On that note, I'm out of here. You guys have a great day. As I always say to at least some of my audiences, I know the people on the Black Voice Project, you don't say that to us, but I live my life on full. And I live my life on full because when I leave this place, I want to die on E. And what that means is I believe that every person has a level of potential to be great in this world. I don't think anyone arrived here with the purpose of being mediocre, average, or less than average. I believe that life happens and some people never find themselves. But I believe that everyone has potential. As Dr. Miles Monroe once said, the the graveyard is the wealthiest place on the planet. And what he was meaning by that is there are books that are unwritten uh, at the graveyard. There are businesses that were never started at the graveyard. Uh, there were lectures never given that's, that, that's at the graveyard. People died and took that potential to the grave with them because they didn't live their lives on full. I have chosen to live my life on full so that I die on E. I'm going to give this world everything I have so that when I leave this place, I leave with no regrets and I leave a legacy that will speak of me long after I'm gone. And that will bless my family because I lived on full. And I'm challenging you guys to do the same thing. On that note, I'm out of here. You guys have an unbelievable day. Thank you.